You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio. And it's sure it is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator David Story. It is Saturday, November 21st, 2020, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, November 22nd, 2020, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama. Today, we're talking to Kayla Blado, president of the nonprofit Professional Employees Union, about white collar unionism and feminism in the labor movement. Taking calls and more on today's Valley Labor Report. Uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. We really appreciate your time. If you want to see what we're up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A-L. David is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That is spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for The Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there. And we also clip segments uh, throughout the week. And we do upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, go to The Valley Labor Report.transistor.fm slash subscribe or to our website thevalleylaborreport.org. And finally, if you appreciate our work and want to help us stay on the air, consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. So uh, today we're talking to Kayla Blado. She is the president of the Nonprofit Professional Employee Union, which is a local of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers, uh, which is the international union that represents engineers at NASA and the TVA, actually. So our listeners uh, are going to be familiar with that international. Uh, Kayla, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So you, uh, you're the president of a nonprofit professional employee union and something, you, you know, we, uh, uh, here in Alabama or, or across the U S unionists get just in general, 
that unions are unnecessary, right? Just any, you know, any mention of union will elicit that response um, uh, among a lot of people, among a large section of the population. Unions are unnecessary. They were needed at one time, but now we don't need them anymore because we've got protections and we have higher wages and we have the weekend. We don't need any of that anymore, but especially among so-called white collar workers, among the so-called PMC, the professional managerial class, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people that even delineate white collar workers from, they, they say that, you know, oh no, if you've got a desk job, you're not actually part of the working class. Um, and, and so... Are you speaking of the bourgeoisie? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, so Kayla, you know, tell us what, what are your thoughts about that, about that kind of narrative about, um, you know, unions... And, uh, you know, not being needed, especially in the white collar world. Yeah, I mean, I completely disagree with that. Um, Unions are, um, let me just break down what a union is. I think people have maybe have an outdated sense of what that is. And so you think a union, oh, we, we need that for factory workers. And, you know, as manufacturing jobs leave this country, um, we are going to need fewer and fewer unions to protect our workforce. That is so false. Um, so a union is nothing more than a group of workers, you and your coworkers coming together and having a legally protected way to bargain with your boss over, over your terms of employment. Um, and so I think every worker definitely would benefit from having a union. Um, the messaging that you talked about of, you know, it's outdated, we don't need this anymore. You know, the, the bosses have done a really great job of getting their message across to everyday people. You know, people are, we see people voting against their own interests all the time. This is just another example where, um, you know, having a union really benefits folks. Um, and you know, I can talk to non- talk about nonprofit workers um, where I work, and then also um, IFPTE, as you mentioned. Um, you know, basically, as the workforce changes, we're going to be able to need more ways of protecting our workers. Um, and something I always like to talk about is that you know, just because you have a master's degree or a PhD or a law degree. Or even if you don't, but you just have a desk job, that does not mean that you know you are securing your job. You're still an at-will employee. That doesn't mean that um, you're free from a, a toxic work environment. Um, you know, we've all seen like the movie Office Space or something like that, where it's just a hellhole to work in. Um, you know, with I really think that those people could uh, could actually use a union to help them out there. So you're saying that uh, your credentials don't actually change the fundamental relations between the boss and the worker. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think that's, that's, that's exactly right. And, I, you know, I would be considered a professional employee. I'm, I have a bachelor's degree in mathematics. I'm a, a project manager. Um, you know, I, I manage uh, multi-million dollar energy projects for the federal government. And, you know, uh, so, you know, I, I get all the time like, oh, well, you know, why, why do you need a union? Why do we need a union? And, it, and it's like every worker needs a union uh, because every worker deserves, like you said, the ability to bargain on a level playing field 
with their boss. You know, if, if you're just bargaining and as an individual, you just fundamentally do not have the same leverage as your boss does. Your boss can like kick you out on the street and you're looking at facing hunger, homelessness, all that kind of stuff. If you threaten to leave your job as an individual, they just go get another employee. Oh yeah, I mean, that's totally true. And that's by design. I mean, um, you know, over the last several decades, uh, employers have uh, have worked really hard to influence legislation and to basically stack the deck against workers so that at every single opportunity from your first day on the job, you know, signing um, non-compete agreements, not having, you know, a solid schedule, um, to throughout your job, not having the ability to form a union without the employer getting in the way. Um, and then, you know, when you leave work, having to sign a non-compete agreement or having to go through like a mandatory arbitration instead of going to the courts, like at every single turn, um, you know, the, like when people say like, oh, like we need personal freedom instead of a union, like I wanna do this myself. You think the bosses are doing this themselves? No, they have joined together. Billions and billions of dollars have been poured into anti-union efforts, anti-employee efforts. And so having a union really is kind of your one hope of working together and rebuilding some of the power that working people have systemically lost over the last several decades. You mentioned in passing mandatory arbitration. That is, that, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to most people, but David and I are familiar with it, and it's it's a cancerous clause in most employment contracts that are not union negotiated. What explain it for us? What is mandatory arbitration, and why is it bad? And how do unions get rid of them? Yeah. Okay. So imagine that um, you're a worker, whether that's you know you work at Starbucks, you work at Walmart, or you work in an office, or you're work you're one of us. Um, who works in a, you know, quote unquote, professional white collar job um, and say you face discrimination at work um, or you have sexual harassment or something, something uh, horrible happens, horrible, but very common happens to you at work. Um, you know, most people would think, okay, great. You get a lawyer, you file a lawsuit and the U.S. court system will provide uh, you justice or whoever, you know, whoever the U.S. court system deems to be the winner they will get justice for that employee. That right has been eroded systemically over over even the last kind of decade, like very quickly. Um, basically, the employers put something in their contract, and these are under the terms of your employment. So you, you know, your first day of work, you're just signing all this paperwork. You don't even kind of realize what's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, a mandatory arbitration clause is often inserted there, which means that you're waiving your right as a term of employment. So in order to be able to work at your organization, wherever you're working, uh, you have to give away your right to the courts. And so the employer will choose um, the arbitrator, which is kind of a third party who decides the cases. Um, Generally, it's way more expensive for the employee and the employer is choosing the arbitrator. And so it's probably gonna be someone that favors the employer. And so in the majority of cases that end up going under mandatory arbitration, the employee actually does not get, they don't win. They they win fewer cases than if they went to court. Um, And so this is just another way that that employers are kind of trying to scapegoat themselves 
and um, take away um, one of our fundamental legal rights as workers um, and just kind of put in their own like watered down kind of crappy version of the rights that we're entitled to. That's one of the, you know, you talked about the non-disclosures earlier, uh, just a few minutes ago, and that's one of the things that I've seen more in the professional environment is they're so willing to go along with all this paperwork. Like you said, uh, even where I work, uh, I, I work around numerous, I mean, hundreds of engineers and they sign away non, non-disclosure, mm-hmm. non-compete, uh, their patent rights, even for something that they may develop off work, you know, and, and they're not represented. We, we tried to organize them uh, a few years ago uh, and and not only that, they they work for free. They're constantly working a lot of overtime for their salaried position. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's and a- and you know, you mentioned the mandatory arbitration, and the boss picks the arbitrator, and uh, the employer, the employee, doesn't win a lot of those cases, and it's like you know, wonder why. We're going to be talking more with Kayla Blado on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. This is the Valley Labor Report. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. All right, folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story. On the line we have Kayla Blado. She is the president of the nonprofit Professional Employee Union, a local of IFPTE, which also represents engineers at NASA and the TVA. Uh, Kayla, thanks for talking to us today. We were talking about um, we were talking when we left about non-disclosures, mandatory arbitration, and how that's really bad for workers. And I want to mention as an aside that the Supreme Court prior to the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett made it even harder for, it's already difficult for employees to uh, enter class action lawsuits against their employers. And they they had multiple cases making it even harder for employees and consumers to bring lawsuits against employers and producers uh, for false advertising or for adverse working conditions. Um, So we can only imagine how much worse the Supreme Court is going to get, which underscores the importance of unionization as a means to protecting your rights on the job. Because we can't, obviously, we can't rely on the Supreme Court to protect us. Um, and, and so, Kayla, how, how, how is it that unionization, you, you know, we know that they put, the, they put in these clauses in contracts for individual employees, but you don't see those in union contracts. How is it that, that unions are able to get these, con- these clauses out of their contracts? Uh, I think the simplest answer is that the workers are bargaining over the terms of their employment. And so, um, you know, the a union would probably never bargain for a policy like that. They, you know, it's anti-worker at its core. And so um, the union is, is bargaining a contract that actually creates some stability so that people can't be fired, um, you know, just 
for any reason um, that they have to have just cause to be fired, that, um, you know, that they maintain their legal rights to the court system, that, um, you know, in most cases there are not, you know, non-compete agreements so that um, workers can get a job. If they leave their, their current employer, they can go get a job at a similar employer later. Um, you know, having a union really is like the best tool to making sure that you have some stability at your workplace and fighting back against some of these bad boss practices we've seen. And, and let's be clear here, because it's something that I correct constantly with my membership, and it's something that I heard you say, and not to, not to, not to correct you on the air, but uh, we, we, we tend to use the union. The union is something that the union wouldn't do. Something. When is the union going to help? And I want everybody out there listening to understand that the union, the union is us. You know, and that's that's uh, the union is not a boogeyman, you know, a great savior in the sky. The union only facilitates the ability for all of our all of us workers to come together and negotiate collectively. So we get to determine what we want in our contracts, not the union or uh, some so somebody that's going to come in and tell you what you need. Now, granted, uh, I, as you know, there's there's a lot of help out there. There's a lot of resources mm-hmm. in the in the national and international unions. But we, at the, at the end of the day, we are the ones that negotiate those contracts. So we decide mm-hmm. collectively what we want. You elect a, it in your union and in our union at at AFGE, and I think this is common practice uh, among all unions. The bargaining committee, the people that write the contract with the boss, are elected from the shop floor. Like yeah. it's yeah. literally, it's workers picking the people that are representing them that are going to be writing the the terms of their employment. I mean that you know. That and, the, and the biggest reason that that I like to to call that out whenever I hear it is the fact that that is a is a perfect example of what companies and bosses and managers consistently use in the workplace to say you're going to give up your rights whenever you sign an author- authorization card or whenever you join this union you are ceding your rights to the union and it's it's false on every on every uh pretense because what you are doing is you are coming you are the union you are creating that union in your workplace among your fellow workers so it's, it's just it, it's it's I guess it's not that important, but it's it's something that I constantly hear, mm-hmm. and I, I try to correct it every time I hear it because everybody gets this sense of the union this and the union that. No, the union is is just simply us, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're spot on, David. That's exactly it. It's it's that not that you're having a third party come in and dictate these terms. It's that you're strengthening your own rights, your own rights and your coworkers' own rights, and you're the ones deciding it. And, and at NPEU, uh, where I'm the president, we uh, work with our members and our members are the ones, you're exactly right, they're elected from their membership and then they're the ones bargaining the contract. And so it's the people who are closest to the work who are bargaining the actual terms of their employment. Yeah. Um, and you're right, that's just a boss's uh, you know, we, we sometimes play a, a boss bingo uh, where we list out all the kind of anti-union term, things that you're going to hear. We're a family. We don't need a union. It's going to it's going to um, you know, you could lose rights under having a union. You could have worse terms of employment. Um, you know, our door is always open. 
Um, and, and, you know, a really great one at progressive uh, nonprofits is um, we support unions, but, you know, just not here. Um, <laughs> yeah, look at what, uh, who was it? Uh, TYT? No, nah, down in Montgomery. Uh, the, SPLC. Uh, SPLC. SPLC. I mean, they were just, it was sickening to see what they were doing yeah. to their workers down there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, and, and another thing, and, and folks, if you've got any questions for Kayla, she is a uh, professional, white-collar, uh, nonprofit unionist. Um, and, you know, so if, if you've got any questions for her, give us a call, one 494 She'd be more than happy to take any questions. But, you know, just on that theme, like it's not big bosses coming down people that are being paid you know exorbitant salaries and in fact you're the president of this union Kayla and you're a volunteer you're here on your own time uh spreading the good word the gospel of unionism uh on a radio show in Alabama 12 hours away from where you work because you believe in the cause you do this work for free yeah yes <laughs> Thanks for rubbing it in, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, well, both of us are here for free, yeah, too. Yeah, we're here so. for free. Don't, don't, don't feel bad. You, I mean, any any unionist knows that any time on the weekend where we're, it's voluntary. Uh -huh. That's true. Uh, That's true. I mean, it doesn't take a break. Like, uh, worker suppression doesn't take a break, so we can't either. Right, right. Yeah, and, and you know, that it's... It's, in, it's important to point out, I think, because people, you know, like you said, they've got this boogeyman of union bosses that are going to come and tell you what to do. And like people that are elected by the membership, in almost every case, we're not getting paid. David and I are both elected officers. We don't get paid. Kayla doesn't get paid. We're doing this because we believe in it. Because uh, we love people. Because we love people. That's right. Uh, we're going to have one more, uh, at least one more segment with Kayla on the other side. All right, folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host, David Story. That uh, intro music you heard was Lee Baines III and the Glory Fires. If you want to check them out, they're on YouTube and Facebook. They're a band out of Birmingham, uh, Deep South, Wide Open, Far Left, Liberation, Gospel. Gospel music. Well, I mean, is there anything that people in the South love more than gospel I love music? Gospel and music. a great, great brother of the show. I he mean, is, just yeah, really been a good a friend of the show. Extreme good, ally. Good friend of the show. Lovely. Uh, so we're talking to Kayla Blado of the Nonprofit Professional Employee Union, uh, which is a local of IFPTE, the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. Um, if, you, if you've got a question for her about, uh, like, you know, white-collar unionism, uh, give us a call. one 866 is the number. Uh, Kayla, um, we talk, we've talked a little bit about professional unionism. Um, let, let's, let's talk a bit about specifically nonprofit work. And then I do, I do want to I, I wanna make sure that we, we have some time to talk about um, unionism as a as a women's issue because i think that that's important extremely important. it's extremely important but um but nonprofit work is pretty uh is pretty unique and it faces uh, like workers unionizing in the nonprofit sector face some unique challenges and some unique tools that the boss will throw at you as a nonprofit worker so talk a, a little bit about working in the nonprofit sector and organizing in the nonprofit sector 
Yeah, the, the nonprofit sector um, to some might seem like an unlikely place for unions, but I think it is ripe for union activity. Um, so, you know, as I'm a nonprofit worker myself. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a volunteer uh, elected official, but I'm the uh, I work at the Economic Policy Institute, which is a nonprofit uh, economic research organization in, in D.C. Um, but, uh, you know, the reason I work there is because I care about the mission of the organization. A ton of, you know, nonprofit workers, we, we don't work there because we think we're going to get rich. We don't think they work there because we're going to get power. It's because we care about the mission of the organization. The world is a messed up place and we want to work where our values align and, um, and, and you know, cr try to create some change. Um, however, the nonprofit uh, industry, um, you know, the, the boss can use that um, to manipulate people. You know, they guilt trip you into working long hours. They guilt trip you into working for low pay. Uh, but then we just see straight up hypocrisy sometimes. You know, the bosses are making six figures um, while entry level people are having to work two jobs to get by. Um, and we just think that's extremely hypocritical at progressive nonprofits who, you know, claim to care about these issues, uh, about worker rights, about uh, reducing income inequality, that sort of thing. And then having, you know, having workers uh, work for low wages or, or work in a toxic environment. Or work um, for free in some instances, you know, with these, uh, what do they call these college interns? Oh, you know, yeah. I've seen a show on the college interns here a while back about how uh, the government and nonprofits are extremely abusive to uh, mm -hmm. to college interns coming in. You know, basically, it's it's slave labor, it's mm -hmm. exploitation at its finest. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's the people who have the the least amount of bargaining power, and um, you know, especially you know in D.C., it's like all about networking. Maybe it's about filling a few years before people go to grad school. Um, and so, you know, the, the employer really doesn't have a lot of pressure on them to treat their workers well. Um, and so we want to, you know, we form together, we bargain for good contracts, we fight against discrimination, we standardize pay rates, um, creating a good work-life balance. Um, and, and, and particularly now during the pandemic, um, you know, we're all fortunate enough to be able to work from home at the moment. Um, but we want to create the conditions on which we're going to go back to work. Um, you know, we don't want our employer just deciding that they're one day that they're just going to send us all back to this, you know, dangerous germ infested office um, or have people take public transportation to get there. Um, and so having a union right now talking about the, you know, the impact of working from the office and, and what kind of safety procedures we want when we go back is really crucial. And that's and that's a good point you know i was uh we had some new hires come in uh over the past couple of weeks but yesterday i just met with a group of them and we were doing a you know a union meet and greet uh they're coming in never no, I, and i asked specifically how many of y'all have ever worked in a union environment nobody raised their hand and and i pointed out the fact that our union at, at my facility is negotiated if someone in your household uh, test positive for COVID, then the company will foot the bill for a hotel room. If you want to continue working, they'll pay for your hotel room uh, near the facility, and you can stay at a hotel for, for that entire time and, and continue working, or you have the choice 
a stay at home. It'll be unpaid, of course, but you'll have the uh, you have that opportunity. And, and and one of the guys spoke up and said, I've, n- I've never heard of that, and it's absolutely amazing that they're doing it because nobody else is doing that. And I'm like, well, they're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart. They're right. doing that out of the fact that early on, we negotiated with them and said, look, we're not going to allow you just to send people home and, and not pay them for something. There has to be another alternative, and we're going in and negotiating these tools. And that's something, you know, especially right now, there's a lot of people that, that are getting sent home consistently and it's creating a financial burden on their families. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's a really great point that you said people think, you know, wow, how great it is that the employer is is providing this. Yeah. No way. <laughs> it's all about providing, it's about bargaining over it and saying these are the terms of our employment. We're not gonna work in an unsafe environment. Or we need if you want us to show up at work, okay, you need to provide us with a hotel room. That's the kind of exactly the type of thing where, you know, people say unions are outdated. Well, do you think that, you know, in the 1930s, people anticipated coronavirus? No, like, of course we need to, it's, it's an active, it's just like democracy. It's an active participation. It's, you know, you have to every day show up and think, what can we do? How can we improve this? How can we be, be vigilant? And, 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 and it's, a, it's a perfect segue into the fact that people continually, I mean, we hear, it all, I hear it on a daily basis there's really and we have callers call in from time to time there you know we're, we're dealing with an antiquated system unions are no mm-hmm. longer needed but uh you i'm certain know as well as all of all of our members uh know especially uh female or minority workers out there you know there is a bias whether whether it's whether it's recognized or not i mean even today there's there's constant reports showing how women are are much uh, have a much lower compensation package than men and and minorities as well and the and unions as as collective bodies equal out those differences and that's something that I constantly point out to any any females or minorities that come through our uh, organizing training is the fact that everybody makes the same if you're doing the same job it don't matter if you're if you're a, a, an aged person or a aged not asian uh but or or a minority or a female if you're if you're side by side working with the other brother over there you are making the same amount of money and union is that great equalizer so could mm-hmm. you speak some to that Oh, yeah. I mean, that's completely true. Um, So we, you know, unions protect women, BIPOC people, other, you know, just people with disabilities, LGBT people, you know, other historically marginalized people. Um, Everyone, everyone is going to make the same amount of money. Everyone is on the same career ladder. Um, We all have the same benefits. you know, you talked about about pay, and one of the things, particularly for white collar workers, um, you know, the organization where I work, um, EPI, we we actually do research on gender and racial wage gaps, and that those actually increase with education. So um, a lot of times, women of color who have um, an advanced degree, a master's degree or further, make less than a white man with a bachelor's degree. Um, you know, and, and I don't think that's fair at all. And so having, you know, having a union really helps balance that out. You're setting, you're setting terms, you're setting, you know, before people are even hired, um, the job description 
has one of the things that our union has bargained for is making sure job descriptions have the salary in them so that, you know, when you're offered a position, the union has already bargained for you and is already showing up and protecting you so that you can't be discriminated against in a job offer. It's generational, and that's something that uh, that we're very proud of is the fact that, you know, a lot of times you get that uh, that comment about the greedy union member, and the fact mm-hmm. is n- m- the majority of our negotiations are for incoming people. It's for people that we've never met. Mm-hmm. It's for people that it may be someone's son, someone's daughter, someone's mother or father, but we're out negotiating to make sure that they're treated equally coming in as, as much as we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say another, you know, another way that uh, unions benefit women is, um, you know, so we all know that women uh, take on the majority of family care obligations. Um, yeah. So providing, you know, benefits for that. Um, also providing dads and, and everyone who has kids with parental leave so that women are not specifically penalized for taking maternity leave that anyone who wants to be a parent you know, gets that right, but also it's, they're not, it's not held against them later in their career. Right. And you mentioned, we meant, we talked about NDAs earlier, but uh, specifically in the case of sexual harassment, you know, um, that's something that obviously women deal with more than, more often than men. And uh, you don't have to deal with those kind, those types of clauses uh, in, in union contracts. Yeah. How often have you heard? I mean, just in the last year, you mm-hmm. tw- look at the Democratic presidential debate where right. they just completely tore Bloomberg apart mm-hmm. for the, all those NDAs and the and the sexual harassments. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> hey, we're coming up. I'm sorry. I kind of threw you for a curveball there. We're coming up on the break. Uh, we got about five seconds left. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Kayla, do you uh, do you want to hang out with, with us one more segment? Do you have time? I said uh, uh, 45 minutes or so, but if you got time? Definitely. Okay. Uh, if you've got a question for her, uh, 1-866-494-9866 is the number. Give us a call. Uh, 1-866-494-WVNN. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. Folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and former band member, David Story. Don't put me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) I just learned like a month ago or so that he played guitar and like I'm always looking for somebody to play guitar and sing union hymns with me. And he, (laughs) I've known David for years and he's kept this information from me. Uh, And and now you sing a little bit different hymns than what I'm used to playing. And now I learned that this fellow was in a band when he was younger. Or I don't know, maybe it, maybe it was just just before I met him. I, presumably, no, it, was it was when quite, you were younger. It was quite some time ago. Yeah, quite some time ago. Okay. Well, man, I'm gonna we're, you're gonna have to bring a guitar into the studio sometime. Yeah, that ain't play for everybody. Anyway, 
We've got on. (laughs) We've got on the line with us Kayla Blado. Thank you for staying with us. If you've got a question for her, the phone number is. 1-866-494-9866. Yeah, and look, folks, there is a ton of professionals in our community. Uh, I was reading earlier this week whenever, when Jacob talked about having Kayla on, that Huntsville has the highest union density of professional engineers of anywhere in the nation. So don't act like there's not a lot of people out there with some questions. I know y'all are scared. We're going to protect your anonymity. We won't, we won't put your name out on the radio if you don't want to hear your name out on the radio. Call in with some questions, and we'll be more than happy to answer them, and she'll be more than happy to answer them. Kayla, how are you doing this morning? I think Jacob's got a phone call right now he's dealing with. Oh, yeah, can't wait. Um, I'm good. I can't wait to hear some of your uh, guitar music. I can add that our union's making a, um, <laughs> a playlist right now, so we're doing... Um, we're, doing, we're actually doing a training later today for some of our new members about how to prepare for bargaining. And yeah. uh, and one of our ideas was to create a playlist of songs that um, we can give to members so that before they start bargaining, they're all pumped up, they're all unified. So um, yeah, any recommendations to add to that playlist? I, I, if callers have recommendations, I'd love to hear those too. Yeah, uh, our union actually, uh, it's defunct now, but three or four or five years ago, the Machinist Union brought together uh, uh, several members from all across the nation, and possibly, because we're international, I think there may have been some from Canada as well, uh, and they put together a CD of of their own uh personally written music it wasn't covers it was actual original music and it's pretty good it's actually real good uh so that that may be something to look into i think you can find that on on youtube Uh, you know what what uh and and now that we've talked for a little bit i understand exactly what uh what the nonprofit in your union stood for but originally when we when jacob was discussing uh bringing you on i was like why do they call themselves non-profit all unions are non-profit but now i got now I, i've got a better understanding of the you're not you're not non-profit in, in as much that the union's non-profit because we are all non-profit we're not uh making money off the backs of the members but you're actually representing non-profit workers yep Definitely. We represent, um, currently we represent 32 different nonprofits across the country and we're working, we've got a few dozen more that are not public yet that are um, working on organizing right now. Okay. Um, so we have uh, Dan from Madison on the line. Uh, he had a question. About, Hello. Uh, Dan, Dan is on the line. You're, and, uh, Dan, yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, I'd cut my mic off for a second. Okay, Dan, can you hear us? Uh, Yeah, that's a little bit better. Okay, there we go. Uh, So yeah, go ahead and, uh, you you had a question about, so so if I understood correctly, you're a union member, believe it's good uh, folks to have unions, but uh, you've had concerns about people, uh, quote, abusing the union privilege. Is that that my understanding? Yes, yes, that is. Um, I'm a... just about my way out the door anyway I as far as employment I uh, got plenty of years and I just had surgery so I'm pretty well going to be leaving everything so I won't have to deal with it anymore but I just you know in, in, in my inside my heart and my conscience I wanted to express you know the disappointment sometimes you have union members that take advantage of the privilege 
that we're very lucky to have. And um, it's great that we do have unions. You're right. It does represent the workers. But, you know, it's a shame that you get people that just don't care. It's all about themselves. And, you know, and, and I'm sure you guys come across people, union members like that. And that's a shame that we have to deal with people like that. Yeah, I I think we talked last week for a little bit, Dan. Uh, thanks yes, for calling back. I, I sincerely appreciate that because we didn't have a whole lot of time to spend with you last week. Or I think you no. may have been going out the door at the time uh, and had some previous commitments. But that's something we constantly talk about in our uh, leadership classes as far as our union, uh, local union here goes is you know it's incumbent because you're right we do provide a lot of benefits that most workers out there do not have and uh some people come in and it it, it you know it's it's, it's union or non-union it's going to be the same way everybody knows the worker whether they're even the ones that's in a non-union facility that skates by hmm. at, on the skin of their teeth constantly but i think it's incumbent upon the union leadership and the stewards on the floor when we see something like that happen to address it uh, and address it before it becomes a problem you know and uh, one one good example is uh, we've had like you said we've had people take take uh, take advantage of family medical leave act and you know we when we hear that from our membership we generally go address that with the members they look we can't talk You've got HIPAA laws in place. We can't talk about your medical conditions, but we want you to know that some of your fellow brothers and sisters think that you may be abusing this uh, this this leave, and we want to address it because we don't want to see people get in trouble. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing is we don't want to. I mean, it sounds it sounds hypocritical, but I don't want to have to go in there and represent somebody that we know has done wrong. We mm-hmm. want to we want to represent people that have been exploited or been oppressed not the not the other way around and and i I want to say really really quick dan and then i'll let i'll let kayla get in on here as as we're coming up uh you know we've got about four minutes left but you know i like david said i think it's important to address these issues and for for brothers and sisters on the job to have these conversations with one another um but you know, I, I think that even given the the one or two or, or three or four coworkers that you're going to have that do abuse uh, the systems that we have in place, um, I think it's much better that we have these systems to protect the majority of workers that don't abuse the systems. And I think that you're going to have a lot more frequent and more egregious uh, examples of taking advantage of things, quote unquote, from the from the boss, from the executives, from the people in the management and and that's you know but because their salaries are so much more because they have so much power over us i think that's that's the thing to stress but kayla i, I want to let uh, you know i want to hear your thoughts on this yeah yeah no i mean i i agree with you jacob that i think the the bigger kind of scandal is on management side of uh generally taking advantage of people and, and uh you know stacking the deck so that they're benefiting but you know you, you do off you do sometimes see people like this um I think that education is a big tool, um, just you know, new member orientation and explaining to them, here's what the union is. The union is fought really hard to get you these things. Do not abuse them. Mm-hmm. This is all about as strong as we can be. If, if you're taking advantage of this, maybe you're putting someone else's FMLA or their medical leave in a precarious situation. Like mm-hmm. we're all here together. Don't be selfish. 
Definitely take something if you need it. Certainly, absolutely take right. it because that's what it's there for. Um, but think about it as a collective. Think about as the union, as as our position and, and how we can strengthen it in the future to be able to win better and more benefits for our workers. Yeah, Dan, did you have, I, I, it sounded like you may have yeah, had a follow I, up to that. Go I, ahead. I, I do would like to add, I'd like to add to it. Um, you know, the, the workforce, not everyone, I'm not going to say everybody in the workforce lately, but a lot of the people just don't really care and, and they don't want to put the effort in. You know, you're talking about a guy that is, I've worked for 26 years. Um, I, I had eight months of sick leave. I'm using it now because I'm getting surgeries, but I came into work early every day for 26 years, an hour early every day off the clock, which probably is going to make you guys go, oh my God, you're off the clock. <laughs> well, I did it. I did it. You know why I did it? Because I take pride in my work. I got my route ready to go. Everything was done exactly the way I needed it and actually helped the office because my station where I'm at is the main thoroughfare for people to go back and forth. And for me to do what I did to clean it up, to get everything out of the way so people can get through, help the office. So I was very unselfish. And unfortunately, guys and ladies, I think what's going on now is you have a lot of selfish people that don't really care. They think that people owe them something. And that's not the way it works. Yeah. Unions yeah. and management, you all need to pull together. We need to work and do the job. That's what you're there for. You're not there to have a little vacation. You're there to make the company a profit and to have your, make you a good living for your family, agreed? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Dan, we, we just got a few seconds left. Yeah, and, but you're, and I appreciate your call. You're absolutely correct. And, and I, don't, I, wouldn't hold any, I wouldn't hold it against you for coming in early because it really speaks to what <clears throat> unionism is and what we do uh, as workers is because we get that, that negative connotation that we're lazy a lot of times. And the fact is most of our union workers go above and beyond, probably more, because they recognize that they are, they are uh, more uh, well compensated, have better benefits, and they're coming in and doing more for the companies. Folks, uh, we got about 30 more minutes. Uh, yeah, and we had another question for Kayla. Have you got some more time? No, we've got yeah, a lot. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're coming up on a commercial break. We'll be right back with some more uh, with Kayla Blado. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. A long-haired preacher come out every night. All right, folks. Welcome back to the Valley Labor right. Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host, David Story. And this intro is a perfect example of why I'm not going to play guitar. <laughs> For me, because this is, the, this is what this I like is to sing. this is exactly what we're going to be playing. That's the kind of music I like to sing. David is a metalhead. I like myself good old folk music, some gospel hymns. Man, that's 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 my cup of tea. Um, wanted to give a shout out to uh, Nate Quack. Nate Brother Quack. Nate. Brother, Brother Nate. Nate out in California. I've negotiated a couple of contracts with Nate, and Nate is steadily sending in donations mm -hmm. to our show, and and we received another one this past week. So we appreciate it. Lord, yeah. you have no idea yeah. how much we appreciate it. Yeah, good like uh, donations that would be like an ad for a month. So we, we really we really do appreciate uh, your support, Nathan, uh, brother. It, it, it really means a lot. And um, donations like that, even uh, you know, one, two, three, four dollar a month donations really help us stay on the air. Um, 
patreon.com slash the valley labor report the more listener support we get the less ads we have to run and a lot of people are under the misconception that we're actually getting paid to do this radio right. station no, we, we pay to do it we pay <laughs> out of our pocket a large sum of money yeah. for the hour and a half of airtime. so you know we're doing this out of the kindness of our heart to educate all the listeners out there and all the viewers and on the interwebs on youtube on facebook <laughs> on twitter so nate yeah. brother it's 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 I can't, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate it, and mm-hmm. Jacob appreciates it as well. Yeah. So we had another question, another caller uh, for Kayla, a uh, Ken from California. How hey, many, how many yeah. other, uh, how many other programs on this station get calls from California? But uh, Ken from California had a question for Kayla about um, about energizing uh, nonprofit workers. So uh, Ken, what you got? Uh-oh. Hey, Dave, everybody. This is Ken from California. How are you today? Wonderful. Living the dream. Brother. How are you? Good. So I really like how uh, you guys phrase it, but the question is, for everybody, but in the nonprofit sector, how do you create a space where young workers feel they can safely express their concerns about their job and then take the next step? So- yeah. Are you talking about in a union environment or in a, in non-union? a non-profit in a non-profit in a non- non-union environment, uh, m- trying to move towards a union environment? So that sounds like the most the, the perfect question for Kayla. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Um, yeah, this is a really common thing that we we talk to workers um, who. Uh, so I would say first of all, um, talk to your coworkers. Um, you know, have some of these one-on-one conversations about um, what some of your issues are. At, and if you're having an issue, it's probably pretty clear that, you know, other people are having a similar issue or, you know, maybe there's some type of systemic problem that basically, um, you know, you're facing. And so getting workers to kind of focus on like, what's the issue at hand and how can we solve it? Um, and more often than not, um, you know, you can take concerted activity without a union. You can sign a letter, you can have a walkout, that sort of thing. Um, but you're really not going to create sustainable change without a union. Um, and so I would then tell, um, the group of workers who are the organizing committee who are most energized about the union to do some research and find a union that would represent workers like you. So my union, the Nonprofit Professional Employees Union, um, there are many other, depending on the type of nonprofit, your location, there are other unions that represent workers like you across the country. Um, Reach out to them, have those initial conversations, and um, basically you're gonna have to do, especially now, we're all on Zoom, a lot of nonprofit workers are working from home, um, have a lot of Zoom calls after work. You know, we try to make them fun. People can bring drinks. They can have songs. Like um, trying to make it a fun space and and also one where you know we create and foster trust so that they know that we're act- actually working in that worker's best interest. Yeah, Ken, did you have a follow up to that, or is that that? No, that was expressed very well because I remember back in the day, almost forty years ago, when I organized chapter at the district attorney office and all the nervousness that goes through you getting the vote going on i'm glad that kayla addressed the audience that people that are not in unions realize you can do it yeah 
Yeah, and Brother Ken's, uh, he's a friend out of California. California's got a little bit better labor laws than uh, we do in Alabama. Fortunately for y'all, unfortunately for us, but even then, you see what happened this past uh, week with the Uber and Lyft drivers, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's just terrible for those folks. So uh, a union is going to help no matter where you're at, uh, no matter what state you're in, and it kind of goes back to the same thing that me and Jacob always tell you, don't rely on the government for assistance organize yourselves and work collectively to gain what you want we can push the government out you know i'm, I'm kind of the anarcho-syndicalist ideologue that says uh we should be doing everything ourselves get away from uh from this need this incessant need on the government to do things for us and start taking those matters into our own hands and with that yeah, dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, you thanks. start talking radical on, yeah, the, yeah. on the radio, and everybody goes, "I, I don't know about that." <laughs> Ken, thanks. Uh, no, yeah. man, that, that sounds all good. Prop twenty two was a nightmare. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It keep was up terrible. the good work. Thanks, thanks for, for the calling, call, brother. Ken. Yeah, I mean that that gig stuff. Uh, you know that, that. You know they're totally being they're they're being taken for a ride with that independent contractor status, and it's not only spreading. And, and not only that, but like we, there was a story uh, out of the WWE here recently about there, there was some folks talking about a union drive and they fired uh, one of their um, pretty popular wrestlers, um, yeah, uh, Zelina yeah. Vega, uh, because she supported unionization. And those the WWE wrestlers, man, they've got a crazy case. They are classified as independent contractors, um, and so they legally can't have a union, quote unquote. But uh, the WWE says that they can't have any other side gigs. They can't wrestle for anybody else. They can't even have a Twitch account because they can make money on it. And it's like the W. It, uh, they're not contract. They're employees, and the the WWE is, is totally taking advantage of those folks. They don't have the benefits that they ought to. I mean, it's it's really really a bad situation over there. And look, none of the and I'm sure Kayla can speak to this, but none of this happens in a vacuum for anybody out there listening that you know we're in alabama we got listeners all across the world uh for anybody that thinks well that uber and lyft really Mm -hmm. didn't didn't have any effect on me you know i hate it for them but not a big deal none of this happens in a vacuum this Mm -hmm. type of legislation whenever it gets passed it spreads like a cancer Mm -hmm. and every other business will start looking at that and saying ah there is another opportunity for us to explore our workers that we're not doing. So, and, and I'm sure it's, it's probably, I, I mean, I hate to, I'm not going to bash the nonprofit uh, sector, but I would assume it's probably fairly prevalent in the non, nonprofit sector as well. Yeah. I mean, so talking about like Prop 22, if, uh, if that could happen in California, that can happen in any state across the country and it's going to, I would definitely watch you know, the misuse and overuse of independent contractors, which we've already seen, you know, so much in the last few years, but I think it's about to get a lot worse. Um, But then, yeah, in the nonprofit space, I mean, kind of related to that issue, um, one of our, one of the issues that we fight for is um, creating, you know, employees instead of relying on contractors. If there are folks that management just keeps hiring to do the same type of job year after year on contract. We think, you know, they need to make that person an employee so that they have all the benefits of being an employee. They're doing bargaining unit work. They should be in the bargaining unit. Um, And so, you know, kind of figuring out all the ways that management tries to erode 
the bargaining unit uh, and fighting against that. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and, and we do the same thing. And and in cases where uh, where we recognize this is kind of hit and miss work, we always advocate. If you're going to bring union workers in, we've got a uh, we've got what we call a a subcontract committee so if you're going to subcontract some work out we have members on our board it's an equal board of half management half labor and we advocate for union subcontractors that's we uh, for years we had a non-union electrical subcontractor in our facility that was doing a lot of work and we finally just slammed our fist down on the table and said no more and uh, IBEW 558 is the is the recipient of that work now? So, you know, the, make it a broader swath if you are going to subcontract, and let's bring in other people that we know aren't being exploited that are getting fair wages and a good pension, uh, and good health care benefits, and able to take care of their family, and that do good work. Yeah, you know, talking about work. talking about union labor. Um, you know, Rudy Giuliani quite obviously did not have union <laughs> hair and makeup uh, people. If he had hired an IETC local to do his hair and makeup, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. That is so true. I love that. IETC's social media has been fire lately. <laughs> I, know. I love well, everybody. For reason. So they got screwed. I mean, they, yeah. you know, they called out the Trump, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, the Trump campaign uh-huh. group for oh yeah the first time and and like generations that they haven't used union labor for their yeah the their- rnc it was the rnc it was the first time that a major party in the united states had not used union labor for the setup in decades yeah it was a long time in decades so uh, and that, during a pandemic of all things, yeah. I mean, hell, let, and one of their and one of their keynote speakers was this random no name teacher from California that hated the union. Yeah, like so perfect. I, jeez, it's crazy. Well, we saw how that worked out for them. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, it did not work out very well. Uh, but Kayla, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. We, uh, we, you know, we kept you a lot longer than we thought we would. But I appreciate your patience and your, your hanging out with us. Uh, have you got any kind of closing thoughts for uh, for people before uh, uh, before you roll out? Yep. Um, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, um, you know, I wow, maybe I should look into a union. Definitely do it. Um, if you have, you know, friends or family who are in some type of precarious situation, especially now during the pandemic, you know, unions are protecting workers. They're providing safety procedures. Um, you know, it's it's really really important to have those because. You know, corporate interests are trying to take that stuff away from you um, through the through, you know, eroding government protection. So um, reach out to a union organizer. Um, Feel free if you're a nonprofit worker to reach out to us at NPEU.org and um, we can help you either with work with us or find a union that suits you. Yeah, we've got several friends that's non-pride. I've seen a few of them commenting this morning on the mm-hmm. Facebook page. I'm not going to call them out because they know who they are. But we've got several, several close uh, acquaintances that's non-profit, and you may have sparked their interest. And if and if, if they don't know, uh, they forget where to get in touch with you at, uh, they're more than welcome to reach out to us on the show, and we'll mm-hmm. put them in touch with you 
uh, and, and reach yeah, and that if they're gap. if they're in Alabama, they can uh, they can absolutely reach out to us. David and I are both in the Labor Council here in North Alabama. Uh, we know people uh, in the state fed here in Alabama, so we can absolutely get you in touch with some unions right here at home. Uh, yeah. So, Kayla, thank you so much for talking to us. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. All right. Have a great weekend. Yes, you too. You too. Yeah. All right. So, folks, that was Kayla Blado. She is the president of the Nonprofit Professional Employees Union, which is a local of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers, IFPTE. Uh, we've got one more segment, and going into that, we had another caller uh, who asked us about uh, co-ops, what we think about co-ops. He said that uh, Professor Richard Wolf, he, he, he is a, uh, uh, an economics academic, uh, talks a lot about co-ops, so we're going to talk about that on the other side. Uh, and if we've got time, I want to talk about this Tyson story. It's some crazy, crazy stuff, but I'll kind of preview my thoughts. I think co-ops are great. I think uh, worker ownership is good things. Um, I think how do we transition to that um, is an interesting question. I think we need to make the laws more uh, amenable to worker ownership. I think there's a lot of advantages that uh, hierarchical businesses get in the tax code, um, and we should be doing things to address that. So we're going to talk some more about that. On the other side, this is the Valley Labor Report. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. All right, folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. Here with my co-host, David Story. We're going to talk about co-ops here in a second. But first, David has a video for you. And before we get to that, I want to remind everybody to follow us on YouTube. That way you can see the show after we end the stream. Uh, YouTube.com, uh, The Valley Labor Report. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at The Valley Labor Report. Make sure you're following us. Uh, like and subscribe on the YouTube. All that good stuff. Leave a comment if you want. Uh, so, David... You've got I a video hope, for yeah, us. Yeah, I hope this works. You know, the last time we tried this out, we couldn't get the audio across the uh, the radio. So hopefully this works. But, you know, the big thing is uh, we, we lost a couple of members in the past month in our union. Brother Dave Lehive out of IEM District 141. We wanted to kind of give a shout out to him for creating this video. But also we wanted to, 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 to tell him a sincere thanks from us because when we started, Brother Dave... Uh, recognized early on the work that we were doing here in Alabama was important and he was really instrumental in kick-starting our uh, our social media accounts and bringing people in and things like that so you know we want to say thank you for that but we also want to say thank you for the video hopefully this will work All right, so we're trying to check this, uh, trying to check and see if we can get the video to go out um, over the radio uh, and the stream. Um, are we, is it going out over the stream? It's going out over the stream, but we can't get it on the radio. Hmm. hmm, still not able to get it out on the radio. <clears throat> That's unfortunate. Um, well, we'll have to do some more. Maybe we can play that next week. We'll have to do some more uh, tinkering on that. Uh, but um, we'll link to the video. We'll share the video after the broadcast. So make sure you're... That's unfortunate. 
Yeah. That's a, that's the problem with the you know we're doing so much here at the at the station with the streaming, trying to mm-hmm. bring in as much audience as we can, and uh, unfortunately, neither one of us are uh, professional producers mm-hmm. by trade. So yeah. Maybe we can bring Kayla on full time. She said she she told us she was a radio producer. Um, but uh, but so make sure you're following us on on Facebook. We'll share the video after the stream. Um, so so let's talk about let's talk about co-ops. We had a caller talk about co-ops. He said that that he thought that was interesting, but he wanted our thoughts. Um, and so you know. My thoughts are basically what I said before the break. I I think that worker ownership is great. And I think that actually if you, you know, some of the criticisms of worker ownership of worker co-ops are that it's not as efficient, that uh, you're not going to be able to, to, to be as efficient, to do as good a work. And, and there have been studies on this that, that, that study the productivity of worker co-ops versus traditional hierarchical businesses. And actually, what you'll find is that not only, of course, you know, that you would imagine that people that work in worker co-ops would make more, would have better benefits, would have more flexibility, like their, their, their working conditions and their pay would just be better as a function of worker ownership, as a function of the fact that they don't have a traditional business owner. Everybody is an owner, so everybody gets, all the, gets a part of the profits. But in addition to that, worker co-ops are actually more productive and more efficient than traditional hierarchical businesses. And so, you know, the question isn't, can this work? Because it obviously can, and it does where it's been implemented. And and worker co-ops actually, um, they die at the same rate as traditional hierarchical businesses, so like, there's no certainly no disadvantage, and there are there are multiple studies that show advantages to productivity and efficiency and cost and and everything like that when you move to worker ownership uh, of a firm. So the question then is, how do we make the transition? I think one of the low-hanging fruits is just making it as easy to start a worker co-op as it is a traditional hierarchical business. You can get business loans, you can get tax breaks, you can get all sorts of things much easier as a traditional business than you can as a worker co-op. So that's the first thing. That's just make it as easy to start a worker co-op. I think the second thing is this is something that Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor Party pushed in in the United Kingdom, which I think is just simply common sense. If you think about it, it's a a uh, putting into law a right of first refusal, which means that at any time, if the if a, in a traditional hierarchical business. If the business owner wants to sell or go bankrupt or fundamentally change the structure of the organization, before he can do that, he has to offer it to the workers at a fair market value. He cannot sell it to somebody else before he offers it to the workers. Or she. Or she. You know? <laughs> kind of getting gender specific there, but yeah. Or I think she. that's the that's the you know, and that's the purest form mm-hmm. of a democratic of de- democracy in work is for the workers to actually be working for themselves, right. collective. It's a purest form of unionism. 
Well, and it's not even, you know, it's not even expropriation. Like, this is just, like, these people, the people that worked at a firm, they put in the, in some cases, their life's work was dedicated to yep. working for this firm. And, it, and it's just saying, look, the owner can't do whatever the hell he wants with this business. He has to offer it at a fair market price to the workers. And, uh, and then the government should offer a loan to the workers so that they can buy the business and turn it into a worker co-op. Um, I think another thing uh, that would be good is for, um, is for unions, you know, we, we talk about, we talk about um, not relying on the government. What I just said was a government policy. I think it would be good for unions to start pushing for a, a right of first refusal clause in their contracts, uh, you know, because we it, oftentimes we can't rely on the government to put in good policies. Uh, and so a way to get around not having to wait on the government is, you know, if you're on a negotiating committee, if you are in a union, start agitating around this issue. Start, agi start talking to your coworkers and say, hey, you know, I think that our boss, or the owner of this company, shouldn't just be able to sell this company to whoever the heck, some Chinese capitalist or something. I don't think that they should be able to do that. I think or they should- Or venture capitalists. Or venture capitalists or Elon venture Musk. Capital. I think that they should have to offer it to us first. We're the ones doing the work. I think we should have an opportunity to buy the company if we want. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to. Doesn't mean you have to. But that you should have the opportunity, and I think that should be something that unions start pushing for in their contracts. Um, and so I think, I think, one, it's obviously good for worker ownership of firms. I think it's good, and I think those are some some real, uh, practical, pragmatic ways to begin the transition. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 in my wheelhouse. It's the it's mm -hmm. the one thing that I have consistently spoke about for years and years and years as worker ownership of the workplace. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's very easy to talk about risk reward. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of times those on the right like to allude to the job creator or these, you know, and they're taking all of the risk. Well, let me tell you the, the mm -hmm. job creator that their so-called job creator is not taken that much risk. Mm -mm. The ones that's mm -mm. taking the risk are the low wage workers that are uprooting their families, going to another industry and starting from scratch and relying on one person, mm. not a group of workers, but one person to make all the right decisions that's going to, to sustain that person's family or his self for years to come. That my friends is risk. Right. There is no risk in starting a business and being able to file bankruptcy and walk away with it without any debt. There is no risk in that. <clears throat> the risk is the worker that's, that's living hand to mouth week to week mm -hmm. and is praying that, that that business stays afloat and he has zero control over whether it does or not. Right. Folks, this has been the Valley Labor Report. Uh, you can find us online, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Make sure you're following us. You're subscribing to the YouTube channel. Uh, you're supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. And we will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>